0: for type 40 your doctor who podcast from the space book for the fandom podcast network with me dan Hardley, birmingham's king of the geeks and designated driver if you're new to our show or you've stepped aboard before you'll be happy to learn this is the free speaking big thinking eclectic and eccentric show for everyone whatever decade or century you started watching reading or listening along to the ongoing adventures of our hero Doctor Who, and with a new season underway on BBC One and broadcasters and platforms all over the world, we're making our way through this six-part run now known as Doctor Who Flux, making sure to throw in a few laughs along the way where we can. So come and step into our tardis and share it all, (laughs) Flux by Flux, here with us on Type 40. Now, yes, in recent times, I don't know about you, but for me, it's been rather an odd feeling as we count down the weeks to a brand new series of Doctor Who beginning on on the BBC or whatever. The unmistakable feeling of excitement and that rejuvenated childhood wonder that I felt all through my life, you know, even during the wilderness years, picking up a new book or a magazine or whatever, well, that had evaporated away as this current era, show run by Chris Chibnall, had played out. Deliberately divisive and, let's be honest, a real chore to sit through a great deal of the time, even if you've got some sort of jelly babies or or fish custard or whatever at hand to, to guide you through. Series 13's premiere was arguably upstaged by recent announcements and events that aren't gonna actually happen on screen for roughly two years that isn't timey-wimey i don't know what is but as doctor who fans of course we are season or series ticket holders and we're here in front of our screens whatever size they may be on whatever device we're here for the duration aren't we and yeah we'll go down with the ship if we absolutely have to but back here with me again for chapter two We've got the uh, the presence of the analytical mind and the barbed tongue of our friend Charlotte Shields. Welcome back, Charlotte.
1: Oh, don't give me that much of an intro.
0: <laughs> what I've noticed about your takes, you come in with something, something clean, something incisive, and it's like a big penny dropping that I can hear in my brain and sort of rattling around as all the little lights go on, things that I had missed. Or not seen in quite the same way. And I think that's the beauty of of getting a group of Doctor Who fans together. And this is depending on even people who may have received an episode in completely different ways, you know, from either side of the aisle that's dividing the fandom at the moment. This is the great gift of fandom, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's I think Doctor Who we have a what's such a wide range of fans that love this show and in in times gone we could have a nice discussion about it and sort of have our grievances and what we liked or didn't like but the good thing about type 40 in this podcast is we can do that and we can all have very different views or have some similar views sometimes so that's the fun of it
0: i think so yeah but of course when we last spoke the pair of us we were left weren't we
1: <laughs>
0: left in the wake of the, the the close out of episode one i can barely i i can't talk this stuff up without breaking into a laugh but in the seven days in between, obviously you've been left on the edge of your seat the entire time. So I was wondering, have, have the family had to sort of hoove around you whilst you've been there? <laughs> People have been bringing your food parcels. How's has it been for you?
1: Tribunal episodes, it seem to just have this effect that I watch them. It just goes out of my thought process until the next one. And this <laughs> is one of the few eras that that happens with Tribunal episodes. It's like they wash over me once I've watched them. And especially that one, it was so busy. And I, and I really think, and we'll get on to this later was, with figures, it. I think it was a mistake to chuck that much into one episode.
0: It could well have been. And talking about connectivity and connecting, let's bring in the other half of this review panel, the return of Barnaby Jago and the even more shock return of Simon Horton to live hey. reviews of new Doctor Who episodes. Seems like a moment believe. too soon. <laughs> can, I,
2: can I just check? I am in the right place, aren't I? We are here to talk about that wonderful, wonderful time travelling sci fi show that I've loved for 48 years. Oh, no, yeah. sorry, sorry. We're here to talk about the new show that calls itself Doctor Who. That's right, I remember now.
0: <laughs> ah, of course. Yes, the Skin Suit show, isn't it? <laughs> Bonnerby, it's, great. it's great. The Shambling show. Corpse, yeah. <laughs> it's great to have you back because you were here on the Series 13 preview show, weren't you? And you were. Not exactly chomping at the bit, but I think you were in a, a reasonable place, weren't you? That uh, you were going to give it a fair old shake. But of course, we've had an episode since then, so I was wondering, would you like to bring us up to speed and tell us what you made of the Halloween Apocalypse? Me? Yeah.
3: Yeah, the, uh, the Halloween Apocalypse.
0: Uh, again,
3: I've had a, I've had a lot of complaints about the um all sorts of all these characters we, uh, we don't know are brought in, and of course it's going to be explained later on, but. Yeah. That and it, and you know, the, the woman with um, oh, god, oh my god, I've already forgotten their names. That's the thing, as well. It's it's just, it's what Charlotte was saying her? before, that, yeah, it's it's what Charlotte was saying before with them. Um, you know, it just sort of washes over you. And particular characters that come up, like the woman who was um at the museum with um Dan, and uh, the other Amanda, other woman who suddenly oh, god, does anyone remember? Oh no, was
1: it Claire? Oh no, was that the I name thought it was Janet,
2: but I could be completely wrong.
3: That, we? <laughs> we it, they they all kind to of everybody. like. They all sort of like have kind of blended into one. Uh, But for me, it it, for me, it was just sort of more of the same, really. I mean, he's trying to he's trying to put something together here. He's trying to, you know, oh, we've got all these um, all these roots that are suddenly going to be explained later on. But it was just so obvious that these these are things that that are going to be explained later on. And we've kind of seen that uh moffat in himself did that a lot but that he did it in a lot more of an entertaining and a lot more of a um interesting way a lot more subtle where it's not like here's a character oh she's sort of interesting she knows the doctor oh she's gone now you know we'll see her later on and it's just so obvious when that was kind of going one thing one positive though i did very much one there was a line that made me laugh which was uh with Carvanista. i think it's the name of the dog wasn't it Yes. Um, his relationship with Dan that was funny, and also when the doctor gives him his uh, his house, which had been shrunk. And oh, yes. Dan kind of goes, "I can't live in that."
0: That was a pure I got... Russell T. Davies moment, wasn't it? And and with this, yeah. I think so far Chris Chibble has continued to borrow from Russell and and from Stephen too to start trying to ape what Stephen did so so well i think nobody's perfect are they you know creatives writers whatever you want to call them however you want to classify them and stephen moffat's no exception but he had a certain panache yes
3: yes he yes, it kind of left you wanting more he wanted like it was with riversong and that kind of thing and even though riversong was built up over two episodes and that was still something we wanted to to know but i just feel no compunction to really want to know what uh, is going <laughs> on with Lisa or or Linda or I'm going to look it up on the wiki now Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) put us all (laughs) that.
2: oh god
0: yeah it could be weeks until we see them again but I I thought it'd be some weeks until we saw Simon Horton again because this is the biggest shocker of them all yeah the last time you you were here to review an episode was the Timeless Children Uh you and I spent an unbelievable two hours going through that absolute Sure, the mess of a a piece of television that destroyed Doctor Who lore you know you did say you were done you know we we both of us found the last season unwatchable and you were out so what has brought you back to, to the series this time
2: okay the brutal truth is anything that's brought me back is because when episode one aired my other half just left it running after country file <laughs> it was literally just on the television and so and and so we kind of thought okay then let's, let's just kind of watch it um, oh god i mean and that and that is the absolute honest truth the, the other shocker is that actually i i will happily go on record as saying this is the best doctor who has been since Chris Chibnall took over. Now, admittedly, that's really not saying very much. low
0: bar. I agree with you. It's It's a a
2: very, very low bar. It's still way, way, way down. So please don't... Nobody get any ideas that I actually enjoyed it or anything stupid (laughs) like that. But (laughs) but the reason I'm saying this is because I want to prove that I'm not... I've been criticised so many times... It's not partisan. Like... For just basically, you just criti- you just want to knock the show, you just want to hate the show, you just want to criticize it. That's not true. I w- I do want to come from it to it from mm. a totally subjective angle and look at it on its own merits and then make my own decision. And on this one, I'm happy to say yes, it is the it is the best Doctor Who Chris Chibnall has ever done. Having said that, it is still for me utterly, utterly disastrous. And I know, you know, we're not here to talk too much about Halloween apocalypse, but, you know, I, I, can, I can quickly run through my thoughts on that because they're fairly short and, and concise. I would argue that the first 90 seconds of the Halloween apocalypse are the most badly misjudged 90 seconds of Doctor Who in the entire history of the show, without any doubt. I would argue that. So many people have turned off after that first 90 seconds and I was nearly one of them. As I say, it literally came on at the end You're speaking
0: not just as a viewer, but as somebody who's, who's worked in television for absolutely. some years. So you know this is true. What
2: on earth were they thinking of? And as I say, because it literally just followed straight on from, from Country Fire for us, as it did for a lot of people, so many people would have just gone, I don't want that. Because it was just the most banal idiotic rubbish, it would have been fine on CBBC, but not at 6.30, 7 o'clock on on a primetime show. I would compare it with something like, let's take the first opening 90 seconds of The Trial of a Time Lord. Now, however much JNT might get knocked and however much The Trial of a Time Lord season might get knocked, the first 90 seconds of The Trial of a Time Lord are probably the best 90 seconds of any Doctor Who story ever. And so that's, to me, is how you reach out and you grab an audience that haven't been with you for a long time. And you say, remember this show, you're gonna wanna watch this. And instead, Chibnall gave us what he gave us and so many turned off. That first 90 seconds is key to the failure of the whole two episodes that I've seen so far. And that is that there's a terrible schizophrenia at the heart of Flux. On the one hand, it wants to be fun and funny and everybody's laughing and it's all funny and jokey. And on the other hand, it's trying to tell what is basically the biggest cataclysmic story of all time, because it's talking about the flux which is going to wipe out the entire universe. Now, again, I would compare this to, let's say, Legopolis, which actually has a similar premise. The last couple of episodes of Legopolis are all about the entropy field. She's going I'm to swallow of, the I think that's a really viable people. comparison. Yeah. Now now these are big big issues the universe is being devoured by the flux in this case in logopolis it's being devoured by an entropy field now you tell me where the humor is in the last two episodes of logopolis there isn't any. And that's because these are big cataclysmic events. You simply can't tell a cataclysmic story and then have a comedy talking dog and a comedy uh, sequence at the beginning where they're all being kooky and hanging upside down and, and oh, it's all, and they're whizzing through the air like they're in some Disney ride in, in Walt Disney World. The, the two are incompatible. And to me, it shows the problems with Chibnall's writing. He doesn't know. He either doesn't know who his audience is or he's just panicking and it's just like, just throw everything at the screen, everything at it. Something will stick. I'm sure the the audience will like to think about this. Give them drama, give them comedy, give them things that they don't understand. (laughs) They'll like something, but they don't. It's
0: funny you should say that because I think throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. That was what Kyle Wagner said on the last show, wasn't it, Charlotte? Yes.
1: Well, we we just sort of said it's got this air of panic. I think that's also maybe a word we might have said. It's just like right, I'll do this, 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 yeah. this, 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 and it's just like oh. I mean, when schizophrenia is back. Yes, yeah, schizophrenia is the prime.
0: It's it's the perfect word. Perfect word.
3: Even even the writing as well. I remember in the um, the Halloween Apocalypse, just like certain things they'd write, it would make any sense later on. Like why on earth is the dog alien who's supposed to you know look after humans trying to kill Yaz at the beginning? I think there's also a certain <laughs> bit where the two guys keeping, um, what's his name, Azure or, no, Swarm, on the uh, yeah, on the planet, you know, one of them goes don't talk to the subject, and then she immediately starts talking to the subject. It's just <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm very anal because I see these things.
0: Since Russell T. Davis came and brought the series back in 2005, I think Doctor Who has been made for the rewatch era. They knew that people were going to be watching it in, in box sets, maybe they'd be originally VHS or DVD, and now they are not physical media box sets, but I think that Russell always understood that. With Chris Chibnall, I honestly think that he's making television now because of things that you described there, because I've noticed them too, and I'm not great at noticing things like that. Because of things like that, I think he is almost banking on the fact you are never going to watch these episodes again, and so nobody will pick up on it, or at least by the time you do he's gone, he's out, he's picked up his money
2: he's buggered off. But Barnaby is absolutely spot on, because I noticed that exact same issue in the first episode, and the thing is that frustrates me is it's just a sign of a poor writer because actually, it could have been brilliantly handled, because all you needed to do is you needed the one character to say don't talk to Swarm, and then talk to them, and the secondary character who was the trainee to say, "Uh, excuse Excuse me, I thought you said, re- and, and so you, you've suddenly got a nice bit of dynamic. You've got, you can have some, some witty, sparky dialogue across the, t- but no, no, no. We'll just we'll just ignore that and throw that opportunity away. And it's just like, what are you thinking?
1: This area just feels like Chris Chibnall either isn't allowing a script editor or they're scared to death to tell him anything that's wrong in these scripts apparently there are
0: two script editors on this (laughs) i i don't
1: know if they're they're job sharing or what's going on there
2: somebody surely would have just pointed out and said chris this line just doesn't quite but no
0: this is going to be so much pu- much fun. Before we get into completely sort of tearing apart week two or not, I don't know how this is going to go. Before we get too deep into it, it's uh, time for me to remind you that if you want to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, it's just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There's dozens of great conversations, reviews, previews, geek outs and deep dives with our regular panelists we know there's something for every fan at type 40.podbean.com there'll be more about all of that a little later on as well as when we make contact with the matrix of all knowledge to us that's the fandom podcast network for a word about all the other cult conversations that are going on across all those other shows over there Okay, so that's you guys all primed and warned. These Zyton 7 crystals are frying. It's time to make Chris Chibnall (laughs) sweat buckets as we head into our review of uh, War of the Sontaran. We go again. So, yeah, if you have, uh, if you missed it, or you've been to bed and got up a few times since then, you can't remember exactly what went on in this story. Now, was it a case of Sontar-ha, or was it just a big Sontar-lol? Here's a quick reminder of what went down in War of the Santarans. The Doctor has an unexpected encounter with one of her deadliest enemies when the Santarans become a new faction in the Crimean War as the british army goes into a pitched battle with the warlike aliens the doctor and her companions seek the the help of renowned nurse mary seacole while an ancient temple hides some mysterious secrets cue the dramatic sting okay so war of the (laughs) centaur it does it they always sound awesome don't they (laughs) War of the Santarans starred Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, apparently. Mandip Gill as Yasmin Khan with John Bishop as Dan and Jacob Anderson as Vinda. This story, I'm going to just show my hand a little and say that I think this one had something resembling a story, Barnaby.
3: Yes, uh, I actually think it was an improvement over um, the Halloween apocalypse, definitely. Um, I think... Uh... The Sontaran. The Sontaran story uh, was really great fun. I mean, this is what I I also love about Doctor Who. You know, historic armies fighting. You know, futuristic armies. I mean, that was that was a great thing to kind of see. Uh, the actors playing the Sontarans were brilliant. I mean, they. I, I love the new design of the Sontarans as well. I was never a big fan of the, uh, the their design in the Rusty Davis era. I think their improved their design now is far far more um, far better for a a, a warlike race. So I think seeing them more sort of gritty and sort of grimdark is definitely up my uh, up my alley a bit more, and uh, yeah, and brilliant uh, brilliant performances done by um, the 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 star the the other cast not quite from the uh, the title character but from um, Sarah Powell, who was um, brilliant as a Mary Seacole I really enjoyed her actually I think she did a really really good job and also the chap who played um, the uh, general as well. Uh, General Logan, I think that that chap was called. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've
0: got the Gerald, I've got the cast list here. So General yeah. Logan was played by Gerald Kidd, I think it's pronounced K Y D.
3: Yeah, gr- a great character. You know, you always got to have someone who's um, you know, uh, uh maybe kind of sort of like the villain esque of the um, of the. It was
0: broad, wasn't it? But it was broad on a broad the broad it was, villain. It would have been broad on the page.
3: Yeah, broad on the page. But even then, he had a character. He had an arc, and uh, you kind of saw where he was coming from as well. As well as you could see where Mary Seacult was coming from as well. So and. And as well, you know the villains as well, Azure and um, Swarm as well. The actors playing them are really, really good. I actually quite like them as as villains at the moment. They had a great, I, I they had a great kind of like monologue kind of thing. Even though it was silly, the planet time that was very silly. Uh, <laughs> but even then, but
0: I think they're... with these new creatures, I think that even though they are only in the episode for probably precious uh, precious minutes of screen time, you mm. are kind of more convinced. I think by their by their vil- villainy when they're mm. on screen i think because uh, the both actors i think are playing are playing it quite well in quite a restrained way there's something about that that is working whereas everything else may not necessarily be working and so whether that's more schizophrenia or or just people who are a bit more seasoned coming into the playground and showing them how how to how to really play the game. I, I'm not sure which of the two it is, because at yeah. the end of the day it's the same guy putting the lines, the dialogue in both in all everybody's mouths, isn't it, Barn?
3: But it is um I mean it's the parts uh, being better than the whole, I think, because even though the, yeah. the um the guest stars were brilliant, the title character is still not good. That's the thing. And the companions are still all over the place. That's the thing as well. And particularly Yaz in this episode as well. I mean did she she introduced herself I think in the Halloween apocalypse as a police officer. I mean I'd forgotten at that point, that she yes. had been. and <laughs> so uh, so would she. Yeah, so, so would she as well. Uh, didn't do anything at all um, uh, in any way involving a law enforcement officer. So that was par for the form there. Yeah. Uh, so, a step up. I would think a step up. There was a story. The There was still that deus ex machina at the end, which I did not like. The... Um, what was it? The oh dear, you see, it's just so forgettable. I already forgot what happened. It's some sort of time explosion that just because it's set all mumbo jumbo
0: back. that it's it's, Im- it's impossible jumbo. to make this mum- mumbo jumbo settle in your mind. That's why you know for all that things like timey wimey may sound quite facile, you know, you remember them, whereas mm-hmm. reams and reams and reams of mumbo jumbo it, it just washes over people. And we're geeks. Can you imagine what the general audience feel about it? And I think another another thing about about science fiction storytelling too which I think that general audiences and fans receive slightly differently are not just the returning villains but but threat too imminent threat and I think that one thing that they did right to start off a season like this last time in the Halloween apocalypse is they ended you know because this is the first time they've done an umbrella story in 35 years on Doctor Who properly you know, I don't count dribbling a word through a season as a as an arc. I, that, you know, it's in all, with the best one in the world. I don't. This is this was ambitious. So they had to have that first cliffhanger be an absolute blinder. And to be fair, you know, they they did leave us on a pretty dark moment and a big statement. We we saw the uh, the rippling wave of the flux at the very doors of the TARDIS on its threshold, about to to, as we assume, sort of course its way in and sweep them away. Whatever whatever was gonna happen, we had no idea. And whilst I don't think people were talking about that cliffhanger all week, I think it was a decent cliffhanger. And I was, I don't know if I was disappointed or not. I think I, I was actually reassured really, because it was a, t- a typically Chibnall move, I think, Simon, to pick it up seven days later and not actually not actually address that cliffhanger at all, to just move the story on. So, is it actually a cliffhanger if you only ever get one part? Well, of course it isn't. Well, it is a
2: cliffhanger, I suppose. In that respect, it's a literal. It's it, in every respect, yes. Actually, it is a cliffhanger because it's never resolved, so it's always hanging on the edge of a cliff. Actually, so it's the ultimate true, cliffhanger true. in a way. But the whole point of a cliffhanger is you have to resolve it. Or, again, as we said, well, as I've said a few minutes ago, it, it, it's a sign of a of a poor writer. Um, to be perfectly honest, Dan, until you just reminded me what the cliffhanger was to Episode One, I literally couldn't remember it. Um, so so, so if you'd asked me I, I
0: honestly couldn't have told
2: you what the cliffhanger was to the it's end great to episode.
0: have cliffhangers back you know we're all classic fans to one degree or another and it's nice to have the cliffhangers back and I also mm-hmm. think it's nice too I think it's um, the restoration of the cold opens at the beginning of the, of the episode to have a pre-credit sequence is also something that Doctor Who really needed and it was a, a very silly mistake that Chris Chibnall made that was that was pure arrogance that made him from series yeah, from series 11 onwards, all with all but say two exceptions. he dropped the cold open completely, just it seemed just to deliberately mark it out as being different from Russell's and Stevens runs without thinking about why and how it actually worked. And here we've got him restoring the cliffhanger without actually taking the time to figure out why cliffhangers work and what the, the trade-off and the payoff must be. Well, and the other thing, to, I, I
2: mean, actually, I thought that the cliffhanger to the end of War of santaris and I realise we're getting sort of a bit ahead of ourselves here and leaping right to the end for a second, but talking of cliffhangers, I actually thought the cliffhanger to the end of, of Episode 2 was pretty good. It was, a it was also good, doctor, yeah. <laughs> no, it was a proper Doctor Who cliffhanger um, in every sense of the word, but of course the difficulty is that I have absolutely zero faith in at the beginning of episode 3 being resolved in any satisfactory way it will it will be thrown away again and so that's the problem when you create strong cliffhangers you've got to have and 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 to be to be completely clear on this classic doctor who is just as guilty of this of writing itself into brilliant corners with brilliant cliffhangers and then throwing them away at the beginning of the next episode because they can't actually write themselves out of it so this isn't just something we're leveling at chibnall but no. it's one of those things that you would think you have learnt your lesson from, Chibnall should have learnt his lesson from, from Classic Who, that if you're going to write a good cliffhanger, you've got to be able to write yourself out of it, or you end up looking like a poor writer. And that's what he's done. And by- yeah, all I'm going
1: to say is, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you haven't seen the next time trailer. trailer then.
2: Do you know what, Charlotte? No, I deliberately... Because don't. I've always done this since New Who. I've always done. I don't yeah, want to we'll see. And them. this isn't just Doctor Who. This is something across the board of television. It drives yeah, me I, mad I when they say that. No, I don't want to see what's going to happen next week. I can wait till next week to see what's going to happen. Thank you. So I. It's I've great. Always It's great
0: off. with little little kids. I think they particularly like it. But but Charlotte, you know, as as regards this, scenes, as we are there, we're on that on that cliffhanger. Yeah, I do think that that Chibnall has given us another good cliffhanger there. And in theory, by focusing, too, on human interest. Yaz is a human being, allegedly. (laughs) We know very little about this character. But to focus on her, it's one thing, because we've got the big stakes, haven't we? As Barnaby was describing, we've got a lot of old mumbo-jumbo. So we've got those big stakes, but they mean absolutely nothing unless we see the immediate there-and-then impact for somebody who we are supposed to care about... But uh, Mandip Gill and Jodie Whittaker, as the 13th Doctor and Yaz, they were separated from the entire episode, weren't they? Which was, I think, was a bit of a, a small mercy, wasn't it, after the last time?
1: Yeah, but he, he, he does this a lot. He seems to hardly want to put his companions with his own doctor. It's like the amount of times in the last series this happened as well.
0: Do you think he so knows they've wasn't... got no chemistry? Because we found oh, yeah. that out last week on Halloween Apocalypse. I had that, that <sighs> slip, that. Last week, that was that was something that felt like a big wet fish coming right across my face. I don't think I'd noticed before how little chemistry those two actresses have got together. And do you think he knows that too, and that's why he does it?
1: Oh, yeah, and I think especially as, because of her being separated, she had a lot of scenes with Vinda in this episode. And I actually thought those two had good chemistry. They actually worked on screen. And I was like, how on earth... Have you managed this gymnall? This is a new character. This is the first time he's properly been in an episode because it was flashes we saw of him in episode one. And he's already sparking off of like Manip. And Jody's not done that for two series. I had not
0: thought Despite of that. What, what
1: despite what do you think it's because they're both the quite thin, will tell you.
0: <laughs> do you think it's because they're both quite thin characters, Charlotte? Because you know, Jacob Anderson, as as I've said before Really nice guy, you know. We've heard him talk about being in Doctor Who. This, this is a bit of a dream come true for him, and it's hard not to respond to that. And to you know, we know this is somebody's ambition, but the character—it's also very thin. Yaz yes, is a very thin character, and so they at least feel like they belong in the same in the same universe in the same space.
1: Well, I think it's a bit of Jacob has natural charisma. We saw that in the Comic Con sure. in the little video. We all said he it's seems quite nice, and he had he had a bit of something about him, even in that little clip like the, when it was just him without any acting and I think, honestly, putting him next to Yaz, it helped because they sparked off but it made Yaz look even, or Manit look worse, because just, Jacob was, was just had charisma, he was likeable He's you, newcomer. you sort of you felt, you sort of when he was a bit confused and he didn't know what was going on in the temple you bought that that confusion quite well. Whereas with Yaz, as soon as she was there, she was like trying to be the big, oh, I can fix it. She she wrote on around like a child. And it was just like, compare the two characters. And I, I actually have an interest in um, Linda, just off what Jacob Anderson was doing. And this mm-hmm. is a little theory I have, to be fair. I think Chibnall can write male characters better than female characters. Because
0: oh,
1: the if, you at, <laughs> if you look at all the characters from this era that anybody's connected with or has said any sort of positive, think you've got Graham, you've got some people really like the Master, Jacob. Some people like me have really taken to Dan. He, I, I honestly think Tymal can write male can somehow write males better than females.
2: I think I think you're you're spot on, Charlotte. And the other thing that does strike me is. Obviously, we, we will never know because we'll never see Chibnall really write now for another TARDIS crew. Um, but I think he writes very poorly for the TARDIS crew, for the Doctor and Companions, because, and this this runs right the way back to the beginning of, of the Chibnall era, the relationship, the fam, which I can still just throw up at the thought of, but the way he writes them, it's very insular. It's not inclusive, it's exclusive. You as the viewer are excluded from this group of people. You're allowed to stand on the sidelines and watch them having a wonderful time. You're not invited to have that wonderful time with them. And it's become even more insularized now with with um, the doctor and, and Yaz, Dan is kind of this outsider that's coming and has been sort of shoehorned in. So really the relationship at the moment is between the doctor and Yaz. And so because there's only two of them, it's become even more insular now than it was before. And as a result, it ends up feeling that I'm just not really welcome in this world, in their world. Um, And that just doesn't, as a result, warm you to them. And so that's why when when you split the two of them apart, It at least begins to separate them out a little bit, and you almost feel a little bit like uh, you you might at a a party, for example, if you're trying to get into a group of people and they're constantly turning their back on you, you feel cut off. Okay, now they're separated. I maybe actually be able to get a little bit of the attention of them myself, and that's really again, it's just poor writing on on Chibnall's part that he doesn't make he doesn't allow us as viewers. To, to be welcomed into the dynamics of the Doctor-Companion relationship. Whereas, you're quite correct Charlotte, the dynamic between Vinda and Yaz is better because she's separated from the Doctor. And let's be, let's be clear about this, the Doctor, as the Doctor stands at the moment, is a very toxic character Um, i don't mean toxic in the way that that she she's she's going out to be toxic but she's toxic in that she's difficult to like she's difficult to warm to in fact let's be perfectly honest she's bloody impossible (laughs) to like or warm to from where i'm standing and so that just that just excludes you as a viewer. You're done. I'm out come, of here, whereas Vindra is a likeable character. She
0: makes stupid yeah. decisions and alienates everybody who she who she uh, comes into contact with.
2: And she also comes across as terribly, terribly smug without any justification or reason whatsoever. You could, I could, I could <laughs> buy Tom Baker being smug or John Pertwee being smug because they exuded confidence and authority and intelligence. Bless her. Jodie Whittaker with the best tool in the world doesn't exude any of those things. Uh, and so she has absolutely no justification to be smug and so you end up just hating her because you're just irritated by her smugness.
0: Well, yeah, but I it's think not I said just... last time that the character, for me, the 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, the entire thing's all wrapped up, both of them. It's now completely irredeemable. I've, I, don't, I know that she's not going to do anything with this character at all. There'll be no surprises coming from, from Whitaker between now and the Centenary Special. I'm, i you know, I suspected I was out a long time ago, but I'm absolutely out. No investment whatsoever in what she's doing. I wanted to ask you, Barnaby, because the last time we spoke, Barnaby, you said to me how much you'd enjoyed Bradley Walsh in Series 11 and Series 12, and how much you suspected you were going to miss him. We also yeah. spoke about John Bishop and the fact that he was undoubtedly be- being brought in to, to uh, fill... That, that dynamic to be kind of Bradley Walsh, Walsh 2.0. So how are you warming to Dan? And particularly in this episode, how do you think John Bishop is acquitting himself, fitting into this cast and making this character kind of real?
3: I, I am warming to him, actually. I, never th- I didn't think I would, but I am. I think there is just something funny about seeing him run around with a wok, you know, just hitting Sontarans in the back. Even, I, I've seen a lot of reviews who complain about the parents as well. And I, I kind of enjoyed the parents scene. Because it was just so ridiculous that it kind of like happened that i just found myself engaged and there's just and, and i do really enjoy his relationship with the, with the dog alien with Carvanista or whatever he's called that whole kind of just sort of like just so annoyed by each other it's, it did get a couple of chuckles out of me so that 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 was good so i i am i'm warming to him i think he's definitely my my favorite kind of like companion i of,
0: sometimes feel like scenes from another series altogether of some other show altogether
3: yeah, I mean, he started off very, very annoying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought, like I not, thought he was uh, terrible
0: in, epi- in episode terrible one, in both Carvanista and I thought, uh, I think I said on the last show, I was very harsh that John Bishop is no actor and was exposed in this as completely out of his depth. I thought he was a little better in this one and yeah. felt uh, at least comfortable in what he was doing and able to actually act rather than just to sort of stand around watching other people say things so there's something that i think is gradually happening with him whether it'll reach any real pay dirt before uh, episode six whenever it does he when, whenever it is he leaves i i don't know but i i can see a man having fun i can see a man trying which yeah, i can and, uh, respect both of those things
3: and also uh sort of accentuating the threat as well i think with the the scenes with him running around in liverpool uh, seeing you know civilians get executed in front of him while he's holding this some wok in his hand is, and I think he's really sort of emphasizing the threat because he doesn't know what he's doing, and but he kind of like shows that he doesn't know what he's doing. So it may be a, a silly premise, but I I I get that from him. So I'm like, okay, I kind of want to see where it's where it's going along there. And even though we had the Deus Ex Machina at the end, which sort of like took that and just threw it all away, there was still, I was still. Taken in by his performance there, so he's he's, he's growing on me. He's growing Something on me. And, kind of and, and carry well. on
0: film about it all. I I think the yeah. uh, as you say, not not uh, in a campy way, just in a way of okay, this is an average British British bloke doing his mm. best, completely out of his depth, yeah, and uh, and not ashamed to admit it, but how <laughs> perversely when he gets on that weird sort of conference call with the doctor, yeah, in the Santar and <laughs> ship. She describes him as her best man, who's on the case, and she expects this guy, who she she's known for five minutes, and who has been around aliens for not much longer, to uh, to sort hes okay. I can delegate that sort of destroying the Santaran ship, or at least halting a Santaran invasion. I can leave that to Dan. He'll have it nailed. Why oh. not? <laughs> well,
3: Where and was that? And this is the common denominator. I mean, this this great character, but as soon as he um, uh, starts connecting with the with the with the title character, it all falls apart. So we can well, all yeah. see again the problem.
2: Yeah, you're you're spot on actually, Barnaby, Because the, I mean, the thing is with this character in particular, it, it, is, is he feels very very much shoehorned in. It's probably the worst um, kind of integration of of a, of a new companion into into the TARDIS team that we've ever seen because it just feels so clunky when he asks if he can come along and yeah why do you? it's just like oh please yet again it's poor writing come up with a good reason as to why he's going to come along with you in the tardis rather than just ask shall i come yeah okay then you it's just like ah. um so it just feels very very clunky and awkward. i prefer
0: and... them not showing us not show us at all i prefer an entrance like mel had than one that yeah. feels yeah. so
2: It feels forced, it does feel very, very forced. And I have to be honest, I'm not sure as I I feel his acting was any better in episode two personally. He really is showing himself up to be a dreadful actor. I'm sorry, John, I'm sure you're a really funny comedian. I don't think you are, but I'm sure you probably are. Um, But you're certainly not an actor. And it's just, uh, for me, it's. it isn't so much that he's a bad actor, so much as for me personally, he's got no charisma at all as an actor again. We're back to that age old problem. He has no charisma, he's coming across to me as very very flat, unengaging. There's nothing bad about him he's not he's not acting terribly or embarrassing and it's just like there's just nothing. it's like he's he's dead he's to me he's giving a very very dead. Performance, yeah, hit the I mark, save
0: the lions, yeah, and that's pretty much that. So, there's there's to, an to,
2: incongruence to about it, yeah. To, take your money and go. Um, so I just feel no, I don't feel no investment in him. And again, for me, you know, the whole business with the walk it's just this schizophrenia again. Are you doing comedy or are you doing the end of the entire universe? Come on make a decision and go for one or the other i just don't they they just sit they're they're sitting very uncomfortably for me
0: because at times chris chibnall's going to great lengths isn't he to amp up threat Mm -hmm. and to and to restore a a a greater sense of menace and mythology to a long-standing doctor who monster. we'll come to them in a little while and so to do that with one hand and at exactly the same time completely depower them with another and turn them into little more than than uh model soldiers that can be effectively knocked down it just strikes me as very very strange and the i like a lot i like time traveling my doctor who and we don't get enough of it the crimean war isn't a period of history that i know a great deal about and mary seacole isn't somebody that i'd hands up i'd never heard of this woman when it was announced that we would be going there both the crimean war and that another historical figure a woman of color will be featuring heavily in a Chris Chibnall script alarm bells started to raise because in the past Chibnall has uh, tokenized such people hasn't he Charlotte and he's used it as this weird kind of uh, currency almost to to buy favor with people who may not be watching this material with with the our simple desire to be entertained so when the Doctor does meet, when the Doctor doesn't meet, meet Mary Seacole I mean, we're there in the Crimean War at the, at the top of the episode where Yaz and Dan disappear almost immediately. Exactly like you said, Charlotte, they separate the Doctor from the companions right away, and not in the classic series sense of it, where they find different corridors to run down. They get out of the equation. No, no contact. Con- no contact. Their fates aren't even n- intertwined at all for the bulk of this episode. They're out of the picture the doctor immediately bumps into Mary Seacole, just strolling across any old field in the Crimean War. That war took place over a great, <laughs> large area, you know. It wasn't some playing field around the back of a high school somewhere. And yet, but the way that she bumps into her, it's exactly the same way that she bumped into uh, into the historical figure in Spyfall Part II in the Second World War. It's, it, it's exactly the same lockstep. So... I was wondering if you'd heard of Mary Seacole before you watched this, Charlotte. And are you aware? Because this character, she's not a Rosa Parks. Her place in history isn't quite as clear-cut, is it? And and this has also provoked people out there in the fandom. So how do you think this was all handled?
1: Well, I said last week that I thought Mary Seacole was in this episode, and that got me nervous because of the track record of historicals with this era. And I, to be fair and to, to give credit, I actually enjoyed the bits of Mary Seacole because I, I think he did give a character, he did give a purpose in the story. She was basically the doctor's assistant, like the proto companion yeah. in this episode. So at least she wasn't just stood there and everybody was saying how brilliant she was. That was what my fear was. And yet, going and, and in.
0: that's that's true, Charlotte. And yet they rarely looked at one another. Well,
1: that's they barely exchanged glances. Th- the problem was, yes, she was active. Yes, she was. And the actress was brilliant. I agree with Barnaby. I really Sarah enjoyed the Powell, actress. Powell, she was fantastic. Yeah. She was a proper... She even... I think she stole some scenes. Like, when when she was, like, bossing people about and she was, like, being that sort of... I loved it. I think she was really good. But the, 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 I do have little nitpicks. Is she, There was a little... Jab at Florence Nightingale. They did go there a little when she basically said, "Well, she wouldn't be at the front lines." So that was was, so um, and that was my problem throughout this whole episode. The the politics are starting to creep back in, but I'll get more to that later.
0: Two or three times I noticed both both his own sort of general politics and identity politics. It's funny you mentioned Florence Nightingale there. As I say, I know very little about history, but I do know who Florence Nightingale was. We we did her at school. I understand that Mary Seacole is somebody that a great many people have a lot of knowledge about, and her history is a lot less clean, clean cut. And academics have been debating Mary Seacole and her place in history for some decades. The controversy is that some of her achievements are those which many historians feel were achievements of florence nightingales that have been wrongly attributed to mary seacole and there's also allegations that um, not allegations i mean i it may be documented fact for all i know apparently mary seacole was considered to be a, a racist and had some very uh, strong ideas and some very unconventional and aggressive uh, methods by which she would get things done she wasn't this cuddly Aunt type figure that we get given in this story, and yeah. the question I've seen to this episode is that whereas Rosa Parks, you know, th- there's I know there's debate as to the whole Rosa Parks story about who did what and exactly when, but the core principle of that historical figure has made made it through the translation to Doctor Who in a fairly pure way. Certainly, yeah, the way I'm- that it period in history is talked about in in schools for example when where the Rosa Parks story is taught whereas this is a whole other ball game and something that's, that's a lot more prickly to handle and whilst Chibnall does he doesn't spend a huge amount of screen time with her, and he doesn't uh, look under too many rocks I think the fact that I think he's very cavalier with this character and she's there just to be there in the same way that Noor Khan was. Is it Noor Khan in Spyfall Part II? She's just there, and they've cast her well, but it could be pretty much anybody. And so if it could have been pretty much anybody, why handle such a contentious historical figure in such a superficial way, I think is what I'm trying to get to.
1: Yeah, see, I would say it was an idealised version of Mary Seacole that's the word I would use because- and there's nothing
0: wrong with that because Rosa well, Parks was that too but but is this a false representation and is that dangerous is that well, where because well, Doctor well, Who God. in its history Simon that the in I think the the thing with Doctor Who in history the during the classic series was that it's okay to serve people cod history as long as you don't contradict what was actual historical fact
2: but if, but I mean, if, if uh, and I have to be honest, I hadn't heard of Mary Seacole, and I can't even comment on, on on the historical accuracy or otherwise of this character. Um, and I had no idea what you're talking about that, 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 that possibly she might have been racist, but I know nothing about that. If that's true, if that is correct, then what Chibnall is doing is, is what we're all being told endlessly we're not supposed to do, which is whitewash history, or I guess in this case for want of a better word, blackwash history, I guess. Um, And and that we shouldn't be doing that either. I I must be brutally honest, given given the track record of um, Doctor Who and indeed television in general these days, when I first saw Mary Seacole in this episode, my first question was, if this is a real historical character, I trust she was actually black, because (laughs) it's very frequent that they might just recast somebody white. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and, and, and recast it as a black character, uh, and 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 that, and and the fact that I even have that in my brain just goes to show that there is a problem within television. And and the reason to, 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 for anybody that might be shocked by what I'm saying, the reason I'm questioning this is because you only need to look at the Anne Boleyn. Uh, I think it was on Channel Five, the Anne Boleyn series, where That's where right. Anne Boleyn was recast black. So this isn't unprecedented. Um, and so it, you you immediately I, i'm thrown off guard and i'm immediately dubious well not necessarily dubious but questioning of the veracity of any stories that i'm being told um and because i felt that the rosa episode was so manipulative not necessarily historically accurate but nonetheless manipulative I take manipulative. it all with something of a, a, a of a pinch of salt and then when you get thrown in when the doctor first meets Mary Seacole, and they, and and Chibnall just couldn't resist the barbed comment about I, about being a male, and 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 the doctor says, "Oh, it's fluid," I, and I was just mm. like, "Oh, we, we're not going to let this one go, are we?" Yeah. Clearly, any opportunity we get still to just remind people that, that it's justified that we've turned the doctor female, and I, it's just it's just tiresome, and so as I agree with everybody else that the character was brilliantly portrayed and actually it was very well written but because i'm left and it, and she was one of the highlights of the episode
0: i thought so too
2: but because yes. i'm left with this nagging dubiousness at the back of my brain as to how how relevant it was how genuinely historically accurate it is it, it leaves me with questions that i don't particularly want to be left with and i think maybe you're right dan it maybe would have been better just to go with a character who was called Audrey or whatever. Why make it Mary Seacole? On the other hand, looking at it from the other perspective, it's going back to the roots, the very, very roots of the show. And we've got a little bit of um, a little bit of a history lesson going on here. And, and, and it's made some of us, me included, go and look at Mary Seacole. I wanted to know who she was. And so in that respect, all credit, that's what Doctor Who in a way should be doing. So, you know, it, on the one hand, there's a thumbs up. Um, but I, it's I think, just... sorry.
3: No, I, I think overall, we just have to remember this is a historical episode written by Chris Chibnall, you know, so whatever he, it kind of like comes up there, whatever sort of like, um, you know, characters kind of turn up mm-hmm. from historical characters, we always just look at it and go like, well, it's a Chris Chibnall episode.
2: I think you're right, Barnaby, that's what I'm trying <laughs> so... to say, left... You, yeah. you, well, before you've even started, you, you're you're kind of on the back foot of thinking, nah, it's a Christian episode, and so how accurate is it going to be? How genuine is it going to be?
1: Exactly, yeah, it's, and it's also, written by him. So. Yeah, and also, all doctors can like be a bit of a fan when they meet historical people. That's not a new thing to this run. But I feel like with Jodie's doctor especially, she goes over the top with praise when she Well, she, she wasn't surprised historical... to particularly characters it's like there's no criticism at all whereas i feel like in previous roles if there was a known trait of a historical character that wasn't the most positive in the world it wouldn't be a massive focus but the doctor would have like a one little comment it, it, it or acknowledges, little... It. yeah yeah well, it,
0: but this it person to, was a human not a superhuman
3: well it comes back to the uh, mind of evil where um john perwey goes crazy about uh you know chairman Mao. you know <laughs> Yeah, A character who, uh, you know, a a historical character who's a little bit... uh, Questionable. A bit odd. Questionable, (laughs) yes. So, uh, you know, this is hardly... You know, it's just a bit of fun.
0: (laughs) And that's why I'd rather... I'd rather they spend time with historical figures. I think that the blueprint for me to do it correctly is... Charles Dickens episode, the Unquiet Dead, back in series one. The, the um. They pre- they preserved that historical figure and play and paid him due respect, whilst showing him as being a flawed human being, uh, beautifully cast uh, and, and played. But the the core, the core principle of who Charles Dickens is accepted to be, now, 150 years since his. Since his day, since his the prime of his life, was there was recognisable, and was um, un unarguable. Whereas a character like like Mary Seacole is is a different question entirely. Somebody that academics are still arguing about, and it's well, and not something. So
2: and I suppose then in that respect there's me saying that yes it's good that we're kind of getting this history lesson on Mary Seacole which I would say is is a good thing yeah, but then too. if you are going if you are going to give a history lesson you've got to make sure you're getting it right and it's totally accurate and if dan you're correct that it isn't entirely accurate or maybe it's it's part of her story and by no means all of it hmm. you 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 are literally then guilty of whitewashing history and that's I would have liked
0: to have spent more time with the Doctor and Mary together on that relationship rather than just saying things at one another whilst not looking at one another. All of a sudden they become Cagney and Lacey. They've not bonded at all. So they're just working together, whereas the time that they spent building up the general character, and I, I agree, Barnaby, I thought he was he was really well played, and I do I do like that sort of mustachio rah, 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 type of character. We all enjoy those type of characters, enjoy those types of characters. But that screen time may because what did he actually? Oh, well, they needed him to ultimately be the bad guy, didn't they? That's why he needed to be there, silly Dan, because he is a white male over forty. Therefore, he's got to be the bad guy, Chris. Yeah. So that's why he needs to be there. But they didn't develop yeah. the character particularly, and more to the point, he ate up screen time that I think could have been spent on Mary Seacole and maybe exploring her character in the way that they did, did Charles Dickens. If you're going to be brave enough to reach back into history and to touch a character, a figure like this, I think you owe that character, just like last year with the the character in the second world war you owe her more than this Wherever you sit on it historically and like i say i'm no expert this is just something i found out in the last seven days wherever you sit on it you owe her more and you owe children in particular out there who are receiving this and latching on to characters and who are who are going to the internet and looking looking them up you owe them more too. yeah because i think this episode
1: was nowhere near as busy as the first one, but I felt we are still we are but I still felt we're still suffering a little bit because there was there was still quite a few plot lines and I think that's and Mary suffered for that because he had multiple things going on. And I and I agree with you and that's what I sort of that was my other thing coming out of it. I was like, do you know what? I actually would have really liked this to have been a proper old fashioned historical where it is majority that's your focus. Yeah. Not yeah, I was in a temple, not Binder, not Dan Kitting <laughs> Santarans on the back of the head. It's it like I said, it just felt obviously nowhere near as Scattershot. But and I just think this is gonna be a thing we're gonna suffer for the whole series now, that he's gonna have a bit of too much going on.
2: There's a there's a lack of focus, isn't there? Mm. There's a lack of mm. conviction that okay, this week we're gonna do this. And it's and, and I think Scatter Shot is the perfect description that it is. We we are still back at that kind of difficult Situation where it feels like Chibnall is still throwing everything at the wall and hoping that something will stick. Be it historical characters, be it seeing a a massive mothership from the Santaran sitting over over Liverpool as you've got on screen now, Um, be it alien baddies rampaging around an alien temple. It is just just throw everything at it.
0: All this stuff that took place in contemporary Liverpool. Was there any real reason why that didn't need why that couldn't have taken place in the Crimean War too. Why? How? All of a sudden, are the Santaras able to, if not well, time travel, then communicate across centuries? Well, that is going on. Well, and, with, and also with why? That?
2: Also why? Why were they in Liverpool? There was no reason. There was no decent explanation given as to why they were. Or maybe there was, and I missed it. In which case again is still sloppy writing. Uh, up,
3: apparently they, they yeah. Apparently they turned up in Liverpool the exact same same time. No. They had actually yes. been in Russia and China in t- before the Crimean War, so they hadn't even heard of Russia and China. So they'd been there for a while, but they'd only just turned up in in uh, in Liverpool and like a couple of days ago. And that's the curfew. I thought it'd be some kind of alternate universe kind of thing. So, oh, oh, the Sontarans have always been here, but it wasn't really that she. clever. Uh, yeah,
1: no, it I've,
2: wasn't I've, actually that clever.
1: I think it was like one tiny bit of dialogue before the dog ships did the shield. I think they said they slipped in. Yes. Oh
2: but why liverpool i still don't get why did they go to liverpool where dan just happens to come from is there something i'm missing here
0: and they're as, still communicating. The, the they're still able to they're still able to communicate between 2021 and yeah. 17 whenever it is it's it's absolutely well, not only is it baffling but it just feels completely unnecessary uh, and as you say it's scatter shot give them a bit of a, give them a bit i think what he wants to do yeah, is give them a bit of more Russell T Davies because these these scenes of of, uh, contemporary uh, Earth contemporary Liverpool in this in this um, respect you know they were scenes right out of a Russell T Davies episode and meeting Dan's parents too who I also loved
2: I loved them
3: they were good can I can I also point out because we sort of gone into the the worst joke in the entire episode which was the uh, temporal tempura I, I, my, yeah. my, hand, my hand just went <laughs> into yeah, my head I, I really like that, of... and I was like, <laughs> is, it, is it Tempura?
2: And I'm like, I am like, mean, oh, my God. Problem with, the problem with this is you're showing your companion to be completely and utterly stupid if they yeah. think Tempura is going to get confused with Temporal. It's just, let's just set up a character and make them look as thick as we possibly can. And this is the character we're supposed to like and, and want on board the TARDIS. Yeah.
1: Oh, and it's not—it's not, it's not just even that. Let's make him stupid, but really capable in other scenes. Like he can sneak onto a, a ship and like take out a load of the enemy and do what. And it's just like yeah, no what's problem he said?
3: at all. Well, it's—it's it's fine because the Sontarans can never actually hit a moving target ever. I think they've yeah. only been able yes. to shoot unarmed oh. civilians. They can't meet Dan when he's running and away. And
0: they can shoot one another, Barnaby. Oh yes, they <laughs> seem to be able to shoot one another. No problem at all. And ne- Neville and Eileen, who, who are uh, Dan's parents we meet them in this episode they're played by sue jenkins and uh who's never played by i haven't got i don't, no, don't i've got that I've, name I've got but yeah uh, sue, uh paul brown paul brown So paul, paul brown and sue jenkins sue jenkins i recognized from coronation street from years and years ago and they were they were lovely in these parts but it did seem to me that this was this was uh donna's grandfather and mother done over, and so little time was spent developing these characters, it was almost as if we accept somehow, as the race memory of Doctor Who fans that we've all got, we recognise this visual language and this dynamic from the Russell T Davies era.
3: Uh, Maybe. I, I didn't really sort of see that, but maybe it's just because I've just gone a little bit mad. Kind of watching all these episodes, and so anything that just comes along that's somewhat different or reminds me of I could be, I could be
0: the... too cynical with it. I, I don't know because I thought they were fine in the roles. I did kind of, kind I, of enjoy. I, I think they
3: were fine. I think uh, th- I think their uh, their intro into the episode was kind of um, upstaged by me by the terrible continuity error where about seven Sontarans go round that corner into that um, alleyway, and uh, Dan turns around. There's only two of them there. I mean that that was that was a terrible continuity error which uh, I got very annoyed about so oh, yeah. I just I know be... I
0: noticed that at the t- this is a prime example I noticed that at the time mm-hmm. and I remember stopping and thinking wait what but as yeah. I was watching it in real time and I'm certainly not going to pause this and go back over certain scenes I didn't want to prolong it please <laughs> so yeah so I just moved along with the episode and forgot all about that until you just mentioned it but yeah it's it's noticeable
3: yeah, I, I noticed that. So really, I was just mostly just like flabbergasted for that. So when they kind of like turned up, I was like, oh, okay, uh, brain is gone now. Okay, what? Okay, we've got the, the parents and they're holding source saucepan and what? Okay. So, I mean, I, I didn't really connect it to uh, Donna and um, uh, Bernard Cribbins, really. But, um, yeah,
0: it was, I could it was be, fine. I could be too harsh there. Well, I think we're at the point now where we have to talk about the other the big returning presence in this episode and probably the bravest thing chris chibnall's done so far i think is the return of the sontarans the classic doctor who monsters from we we first saw back in season 11 wasn't it simon in the time warrior indeed it was
2: season 11 1974. gosh yeah i was six years old and remember that so clearly
0: that episode does get a name check too doesn't it barnaby in fact so does lynx
3: Yes, we do get uh, yeah riding a horse and things like that, which is quite fun. I, I, I approve of that. I approve of um, reminding me of happier days in the cla- classic era. <laughs> <laughs> I thought
2: it was I to be honest, yeah, I thought it was great scene riding a horse, because that's what we got with Lynx in, in The mm. Time Warrior. Why not? I don't have a problem with it. I think they look good on horses, actually. I know they've so had we. a bit of flack, but I think they look good on horses.
0: Uh, yep. Chibnall, as regards the Santarans, he goes to a certain amount of uh, trouble and time in this epi- episode to come at them again because the Russell T. davies era did depict them in a very particular way it reimagined it re- reimagined them uh, visually and kind of reimagined their place in the Doctor Who universe and although I don't think he necessarily did dumb them down, I think over time and one character in particular being turned into a recurring character in a very comedic way did kind of chip away at the Santaran merit uh, Santaran menace a little but i think chris chibnall goes to some effort to to reframe that and to polish them up and to refocus on the core principle of the species as originally imagined by robert holmes doesn't he simon
2: well yes and no because again we're back to schizophrenia because on the one hand yes he tries to sort of recalibrate them and then he has them hit on the back of the head with a wok and yes. he, has, he has a dog alien just literally blast half a dozen of them like, like skittles uh, for, for, for no reason, there was absolutely no need. Calvinists to to do that they could easily have got out of that situation without having half a dozen of them knocked down by by a laser axe. Um, to me, I, 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 I've said before now that the Sontarans are my absolute favourite alien baddie of Doctor Who of all time. Forget Daleks, forget Cybermen. I'll always take Sontarans. But what really irritates me, in all of New Who, they've always been used as this kind of comic relief. They're they're like the light entertainment baddie. So the Daleks are always really, really shown as mean and horrible and terrifying. The Cybermen are as well. We've never seen sort of comedy Cybermen. Um, Mm. And yet the Sontarans, and in fact even Doctor Who magazine in their review, it says, Historically, the cyber, the Sontarans have always been the comic foil. No, wrong, they haven't. Not in the classic run, they were never, ever the no. comic foil. You look at the Time Warrior, Santaran Experiments, even the Invasion of Time and, yeah. and the Two Doctors, there is nothing comic about those Sontarans whatsoever. They are not comedy, they're not comic relief. And it just frustrates me. And, and Russell T. Davis absolutely started it and Moffat nailed the the, the coffin lid shut in making them. Supposedly, historically, these comic relief, light entertainment villains. And they're not to me. And, And this is one of the reasons why I love the soundtrack so much. These are the meanest bastards you are ever gonna beat meet in space. They're the real meanies, they're the real Holy baddies. Boys, yeah. Daleks are conditioned to be like that. Cybermen have removed all emotions, so they're like that. The Sontarans have no justification. They're just mean for the sake of being mean. They're not comic relief. And can we you know that's what frustrates me? I'm just let go. Of the Santorins being comic relief and make them what they're supposed to be, which is just absolutely terrifying because they are the baddies of the universe that you absolutely would not want to bump into in a dark alley, and that's why. So again,
0: in stripping them back, cool. in stripping them back visually, and I, I, I know that you've you've got mixed feelings, haven't you, about the redesign? But you I don't even have see mixed feelings,
2: done. No, I don't have mixed feelings. I hate it. They're not mixed at all. I hate <laughs> okay. it. Okay.
0: Uh, but you can see that efforts have been made to yes. to reconnect yes. back. I agree. It had the efforts
2: have been made undoubtedly, um, and so and I recognise that. But I do get annoyed when people say, "Oh, we've, they've gone back to the classic look." No, they haven't. They've, you're quite right, Dan. They've looked at the classic look and they've taken a few bits and pieces from it and popped them on. But they're not. They haven't returned to the classic look. And 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 it's for me as i've said before it's just a case of over designing them w- why why overcomplicate them they don't need they never needed all that armor they don't need all the armor and the utility belts now they don't need all the bits and pieces stuck on it just just keep them clean sleek just as they were the silhouette of, of the Santarin is untouchable and i'm very pleased to say in the new episode yeah the silhouette still looks good uh, and they absolutely have their moments but but Why over-design them to me to this extent? And the masks, I don't care what anybody says, the masks still look like Shakedown Sontarans to me. The mask, the (laughs) Lynx mask, the Lynx mask looks undoubtedly like a real creature. I can believe that that is a real, real living alien creature. These look like what they are, which is rubber masks. They're they're over designs they're plastic-looking, and... So to me, it's just not an improvement. They're they're just no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What can I say? In in this This story, story
0: they do build two 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 characters, characters, don't they? In particular, two sontaran characters. characters. We've got uh, Jonathan Jonathan Watson Watson plays Skark, and Dan Starkey plays the character of. I knew I was going to struggle saying this. (laughs) Schlivid. Both Santarans, one at the very top of the chain, the commanding officer, and one is a foot a foot soldier that we first meet, who's been cared for by Mary Seacole in her in her hospital. We spend more time with him, and I think that is an attempt at the script to come at the Santarans from the other direction and their, their code of honour and everything that the mythology has. Taught, uh, taught us, told us about them over the decades to kind of boil it, boil it down in bringing back Dan Starkey who played Strax throughout the, the uh, Stephen Moffat era that sort of comic relief character to to employ him again to play a Sontar and it probably could be seen as a no-brainer because he does play these parts very very well doesn't he and this character couldn't be more different from Strax but again ultimately I've got no problem with how the character was depicted but the Doctor kind of lets this character go back to the Sontaran regiment doesn't she Mm -hmm. where Uh, he's immediately executed Barnaby now is it just me she probably knows
3: that she she probably knows that as well which also um, scatterbrained and uh, schizophrenic as well this character this episode and this Doctor as well you know, promote, promoting life. You know, promoting goodness around the around the universe, but not averse to um letting a um a, a, a living creature get executed by his own people. So,
0: actively sending him to his death, Simon. Is there yep. any other way oh, of yeah. reading that? I just I, found I, it I, really I, I, weird. I,
2: yeah, absolutely. And Barnaby's quite correct because because this is one of the main problems I had right back in Chibnall's and Whitaker's first series was with an Arac- Arachnids in the UK when the Doctor willingly chose to let the the, the Queen spider or whatever it was to beat the giant spider just die a slow and painful death um, yeah. a, a, rather than rather than being put out of misery quite quickly and then also in the next scene pretty much allowed all of the uh, of the bad spiders to be lured into a room where they were all suffocated very very slowly to death um, so so again this just shows complete schizophrenia in the character how can I like this character. And this is it's, just not, it's not
0: just it's, it's not, so not just right. bad it's not just bad uh, characterisation is it Charlotte it's inconsistent characterization and in storytelling
1: well it's, it's Tribunal seems to really not how do I word this it's like he's got a really warped sense of what the morals of the Doctor is he seems to really in one breath make her like you said I have to protect life nobody dies I hate violence I hate guns and it's like he's got such a surface level understanding as well of violence with this doctor because what she does at the end also what, what her little lecture at the end once like we you've just all pointed out she sends one to, to his death means she, she her morals just flip and flip and flop and go from one extreme to the other so when she is trying to be high and mighty you can't believe it. And when she is trying to be like...
0: What what you're pointing to is that Chris Chibnall has no sort of plan, no no overall shape to his scripts. He's writing it scene by scene by scene and um, almost as if he never goes back over it and, and views the whole, do you think?
1: Well, it's more like I said, it just boggles me how he seems to see violence just from his writing. It seems to be a really surface level reading of it, that all violence is bad, all violence is bad, but when it suits the plot, the Doctor's okay with violence, and it's and also it's like I said, it's like past Doctors because I've got to be fair that there were there the, the, the was bits I really enjoyed in this episode, but it was this issue of right. violence and morality that really took me out of it with the Doctor. And it's like I was, and this is the thing that sort of I have been. Like I said, I don't think about it a lot, but this is the thing that was sort of in the back of my head. It's like he's Doctors in the past. Yes, on the surface they don't like violence; they're against it. But I've got I well, my understanding from all the previous Doctors is, it's that's not a hard and fast rule. When circumstances dictate it, they understand you need to use force. You need to even use violence sometimes if your enemy is not going to let you live, or if your enemy the Doctor hasn't is somewhat of an
0: oxymoron. Mm.
1: Yeah, and it's like, and these are some Tarans. So we, and like you were saying, we all know what Suntarans are like, they don't, they will just kill, they'll just fight, they'll just have a war for the sake of it. Yeah. So you can't try and moralise with a Suntaran, which is what she was almost doing near the end of this episode. And another really quick one, and it is connected with the Santarans, and I don't know if I'm overthinking this. How on earth did they not know that the Doctor was female yet? That was just boggling my mind. Because this doctor's been in the universe for a good amount of time now. Like she's while, had adventures, she's faced Daleks, she's had some big battles, like when it comes to recognizable villains. And there's a whole story plot line when she's More to the point,
0: Charlotte. More because to the they point, didn't though, know it was her. More to the point. If Time Lords are now accepted that they've always been able to change gender. It's just a matter of fact, an everyday thing. That's who they are. Then other civilizations that they've come into contact with will also be aware of this. Or are we expected to believe that the Doctor is the only Time Lord that the Santarans, Santaran Empire, know of? I I don't believe that's yes, no. possible.
2: Well, the problem is, there's no point even trying to rationalise it because we all know it doesn't make sense, and we all know that just like uh, with the with the throwaway comment earlier in the episode, which is basically a, a, a two fingers up, up to fans who don't agree with the gender changing when okay. the doctor says it's fluid, which I could have just screamed at yet again. It's just an opportunity for Chibnall to just remind viewers that that, that we've changed the character of the Doctor, the gender of the character. Whether you like it or not, it's the right thing to do. It was about time we changed the gender. And so you Sontarans, he's basically calling us viewers who don't agree with it Sontarans. We're locked in the past, we don't get it. You know, we're thick, we we are no better than Sontarans. And so again, I just find the whole thing just deeply insulting. If you're going to change the gender of the character, for goodness' sake, just move on, get over it, and 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 just tell a good story and stop reminding people that you've done it.
0: Particularly but, um, after three, particularly it. after three seasons. I mean, with the, my whole problem with Flux, generally speaking, is the fact that I feel that even though I find some of it almost entertaining, diverting at times, any scene that Jodie Whittaker's not in basically diverts me to some degree. Some of it almost entertains me. The, the problem I've got is that I feel that this is way too little, way too late, and yeah. this feels like the kind of energy, the kind of the kind of story even that is being told. This should have been what he was doing back in twenty eighteen as a starting Correct. point, not an mm-hmm. end point. And and whilst I feel that the series, the the, the character of the, doc, of the doctor certainly regressed, uh, I feel that the the uh, the look of the series itself has for one reason or another also slid and the freshness that it once had i mean that was gone by week four of, of the chibnall era it's never really recaptured it and as such has searched for its own identity and flavor pretty much ever since uh, one of the one of their blessings probably in the past has been the director jamie Magnus stone who directed this he directed the previous one as well the halloween apocalypse which i found really flat and i, I was taken aback by that because i usually think this director's got a lot of flair and a lot of talent i felt he was very much back for this one and this certain sequences in it did look beautiful particularly that battlefield shot and some of the points some of the moments in the fight did feel if not brutal then certainly that they were pacey and you felt like you were actually there which is something that i don't think i've got in this era come to think of it certainly didn't feel it in the last season and I don't, I don't even think they managed to sell me on them being in the Punjab in *Demons of the Punjab* either. Although that was slightly better. But I think Jamie Magna Stone is somebody who is has probably got a big career in front of them, and made some sequences in in this look beautiful. But it he's was only a taste in face
3: masks. Yeah. He's got some <laughs> face masks at least. Very yeah.
0: good. Yes, yeah, so I I, note, I noted that, and I, I say <laughs> he's been on on the squad with this show for. A couple of years now, and usually, I think if it wasn't for his involvement, other episodes in series eleven and twelve would have looked a lot less pretty. And you know, this is a TV show; it's got to, it's supposed to look nice. It would be, it'd be nice if it would actually say considered and valued things to us and entertain, entertain us in a robust and uh, and satisfying way. But you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, was it, Charlotte?
1: But no, and I think it's like also not just the battle scenes. Like when they were wandering around on the battle, and you just saw bodies and all of that. That was quite evocative. That actually sort of went, oh, that took you back almost. Box like that's that's quite a stark image. And I do think when they were leaning into that, it worked in this episode. When it was it, it was sort of showing because this was a story. This was a war story. For, for, for all the sci-fi and the silliness, this was tackling a war. And even the, the really badly delivered message at the end was about war. So when they were showing the starkness and the sort of the stakes and what you lose, I actually thought that was done quite well. But like I said, that was all Jamie. That wasn't the script that was telling me that it was the, the, the sort of the see the shots and the way they were filming things.
0: I think that when you look at episodes like this and you and you uh, take in some of the brutality of that and how uh, I mean it's, it's ambitious really to to recreate any moment in history particularly when you have when you're talking about an anthology show basically for a family audience this isn't something that's going to spend 6 to 8 weeks over a long period of time exploring a, a complex set of characters against that backdrop in a nuanced and responsible way these are snapshots of history that are meant to excite and to entertain on the weekly and then onto somewhere else the week after and that's why i whilst i i'm not going to big this episode up at all i still think it was um i still think it represents a uh, a failure in many respects but it's the best episode that this era has yet produced yeah. And I I don't want to let that go unchecked. But just because that may be a fact, that doesn't mean this was good. That It doesn't yeah. mean this was a quality piece of television. It certainly doesn't mean it was a good script. Most of the acting was pretty good. None of the regulars. <laughs> Most of the acting was pretty good. Yeah. And I feel the screen time was largely, because this ran for nearly an hour, was largely used quite well. And yet and yet the more i thought about it as time went on the more i thought about the clear plot holes i mean now you've told me about the continuity errors Barnaby. you know some of which i obviously did spot and just like blink past or whatever but for me again i'm no i'm no um how can i put this i'm no script doctor Lots of plot holes in other shows get past me all the time. And historically, a lot of Doctor Who ones have too in this day where they were popping up absolutely everywhere <laughs> and to the point where I could not not notice them. And I had to wonder. I think Chris Chibnall knew they were there as well and just didn't care. I don't think this was something that had been... They'd edited that bit out or whatever. Because this, like I said, this is like an hour's worth of screen time. I think it's generally the the uh, the the playbook that he's gone back to is just to play the whole thing like just like broadchurch as a six-week mystery box keep it moving that quickly that even though it may not be making sense or you may be dancing o- over key points it, it won't matter if it moves fast and if people are saying enough snappy things to one another then everything will be fine
2: in many ways yeah yeah In many ways, the frustrating thing of this episode, because I would totally agree with you, Dan, this is the best Chris Chibnall episode we've ever seen. And again, I would agree with you, that doesn't mean it's a good Chris Chibnall episode, it just means it's the best one we've seen so far. But in many ways, it just highlights the failings of the Halloween apocalypse, specifically, because that suddenly looks like a completely redundant episode, because as Barnaby was saying earlier, you've got all these plot strands all over the shop none of which get resolved and we and and don't even get talked about in episode 2 so really what was the point in bringing in weeping angels characters that we can't even remember the names of now etc cetera, et cetera. it was all complete window shopping um, and so and so suddenly that halloween apocalypse looks even less substantial as an episode And the other thing is it just also goes to highlight why the entire previous two seasons of Chris Chibnall are completely a waste of time, should never have been made. And had this, had War of the Sontarans been the very, very, very first episode that we saw of the Chibnall-Whitaker era, we might, it's possible... We might all have looked at the Chimnall with very different eyes and we might have said, you know, it's not quite for us and no, the female doctor isn't for us, but, you know, we can see what they're doing. We might have been a little bit more generous to it, but unfortunately, because we had two previous seasons that insulted our intelligence at best and offended us at worst, we just left our backs are up against the wall with Chris Chimel and and we're kicking against it. Um, And so I just find it really frustrating that actually, as I say, had this been the very, very first episode of series 11, history might have been very, very different, might have viewed the Christian era very differently.
1: See, I, I sort of agree and disagree because I've sort of alluded to it and I'll talk about it. The Doctor basically having a go at the general, that ending... I that took me completely out. Like I said, the whole not yeah, them not knowing she was female. I was like, okay. I'll, I'll, but when we got to that ending, I just, I was taking. I was actually, I sort of said off screen. If I, I got so angry, and I was back to series eleven and twelve almost with my anger at this doctor and the writing of this doctor mm-hmm.
0: because because the Santoras are vanquished, aren't they? That's the that's the uh, upshot of it. Just like the Sycorax in the Christmas Invasion, they are sent off with their figurative tails between their legs after a, a defeat by uh, a ragtag bunch of people and a couple of kitchen utensils, whatever. But they're sent off oh, yeah, most of the
3: like, it sounds ridiculous.
0: <laughs> they are <laughs> <laughs> randomly randomly defeated and shown the door. And yet, yeah, the the general character puts into puts into practice a uh, a complete destruction of the of the fleet of Sontaran ships, as he wiping out the Sontaran Santarans of the present, certainly in the immediate area, and uh, and gives the justification that you know they killed a lot of his men, and that's when the Doctor spits her dummy. <laughs> And that's what uh, stands out, isn't it? Because this is something we've had before. You know, uh, This whole confrontation between, between the Doctor and this, and this general character, you can see what Chris Chibnall is trying to harken back to. He's trying to make us think of the Tenth Doctor and Harriet Jones or the Third Doctor and the Brigadier at the end of the Silurians. He's trying to give us that moral crescendo to it all. That bit that we're, when the end credits are finished and we're off, you know, you go make yourself a cup of tea or whatever else... And you're still thinking about the moral complexity of it and the call that is made but the again the texture isn't there the authenticity in the main character that's not there because everything that she said up to now has been no more or no less than the behavior of the general her incongruence is loud and seemingly proud when it suits her so when you see her calling out this guy and coming down on him like a ton of bricks in in the thirteenth doctor's customary fashion, it's we're back to the wasp at the picnic. You just you just get out, get out of my face. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to know. Uh, there's got to be something else on the other side. That's
2: and the problem you know. is, of course. Because, as we've already talked about, the doctor has just very, very dubious, questionable, fluid—to use her word—fluid <laughs> morals. It just ma- it makes it really difficult then to actually pay any attention when when she takes the moral high ground. Uh, it is literally, as you just said, it is just get out of my face. It's just like you—you you can't preach if you have dubious morals to begin with, um, and and. You know, let's be honest. The general had pretty good justification for wiping out the You Okay, he made a mistake, but but that's that is war. You t- you tell me one act yeah, of war. That they, he- they were
0: at war. A they- load of his men had been killed. He'd got his enemy in a compromised position. What
2: are you gonna do? You know, you can you can hardly you you can hardly criticise the general for taking that approach because, as I say, we've got to remember this is this is war. They were at war with each other. And war
1: yeah, is not kind. And that's why, if he's trying to harken back to the Christmas invasion, it fails miserably. Yeah. Because yeah. the Sycorax, they were a new villain. Also, we didn't know what they were like. And they came across as a very proud sort of like honor and all those sort of things meant a lot to them. So yes. the doctor basically humiliating their leader, mm. they probably were never going to come back. They probably yeah. were completely fleeing. So it yeah. did come across as over. Like overkill almost for Harriet Jones to do that. So yeah. you could understand the doctor's anger. And yeah. also that was this was a first adventure after a regeneration. And sometimes the doctor can be a little bit more I'm trying to think of, like he'll be a bit more forceful, he'll be a bit more rash when he's just gone for regeneration. So that made sense. So if he's trying to harken back to that, Chris, you've completely misunderstood the Christmas invasion scene. Because you are with the Doctor in that moment. You don't question why he did that well as with Jody. I'm sorry, the majority of people that I've spoke to have all said, yeah, the General was in the right. The, the, I that's how side. I
0: feel. Well, well, well also the well, Sontaras yeah. had, had actually told him that they'd claimed that planet since yeah. because Lynx had claimed the planet. Historically, that's how their entire culture, their entire race felt about it. So if that, if that is the general perception on... On Sontar or wherever these Santor, wherever they their base of operations is, then he was sending that message, wasn't he, Barnaby? Well,
3: yeah, I mean they, they said it themselves. A tactical withdrawal. They never said they weren't yeah. ever going to come back. We never had any impression that they weren't ever going to come back. Of course, they kept come back. They've been going on and on and on about how they really wanted to take Earth because of Links and because they had taken that claim on that planet. So yeah, that, that also just kind of had me just sort of like going, what? Well- when she just has uh, her, but she needed her lecture. She needed her lecture for the um, for the episode. But but the so other weird. thing
2: that, that the other thing really you have to question here, and this puts it in context really. Would Chibnall have allowed? The same thing to happen to the Mary Seacole character? Would there ever been any option in his mind that Mary Seacole would have taken out the Sontarans? and would the doctor then have given a, a, a lecture to Mary Seacole? No, of course that would never in a million years have happened. And so, but it's it's okay because it's just it's just a military, you know. But Rampus actually, yes. Yeah. Man. You know well, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't like to say it, but yes, basically, Dan, that that's true. Whereas, actually, the military leader had every justification going um, for, for for getting rid of the Santarans and cannot really be criticised for that. And so, you just have to think: well, well of course, it was the, it was going to be the white male military leader that Chima was going to give that particular act to, so that the Doctor could then sound off against it's just it's lazy it's easy
0: so again it's so unsurprising so unsophisticated so glib about it too and I, I really do feel that he let himself down with the, with the simplistic anchoring of this what could have been an enjoyable and and roundly successful chunk of Doctor Who to I won't say blew it at the last minute because it, it was it was all far from perfect. But I think he could they could have left the credits playing with a little more dignity than this. It's not like as you've said, Barnaby, it's not like we've never heard the thirteenth Doctor lecture Doctor lecture anybody before now, is it?
3: hmm No, par for the course with uh, Chris Chibnall, really. So nothing really surprises me anymore.
0: But I agree with yeah. you, I'm more interested in, in I can't believe I'm about to say this, I'm more interested in Swarm. Swarm yeah. as played by Sam Sproul, a fantastic performance from underneath what is basically a uh <laughs> a power rangers take on the red skull from <laughs> the Marvel cinematic universe but that you know that's okay i can live with that you know this is doctor who at the end of the day it's a delightful a delightfully villainous turn this man is giving from underneath that prosthetic i yeah. love it so far not so sure about roshenda sandal as azure Mm-hmm. but there's something haunting about her too I suspect we'll see and hear a lot more from her in the remaining four parts there's a it's a trium yeah sort of a trio of characters with a third one sort of nestling in the background who hasn't said a great deal it's it kind of reminds me of the three villains from Superman 2 we've got general Zod non and Ursa maybe I'm just hoping against hope there So whilst I think he's great and I will acknowledge that. This entire plot about uh, about the planet time that gets named in this the last sort of quarter of this episode all of this is when I'm starting to get that sinking feeling I think we spoke about it earlier on that that Chris Chibnall is about to well yeah to Chibnall us and that this season of Doctor Who which up to now has been a seemingly wanted to entertain whether it succeeded or not is is uh, either here nor there. That he is about to deliver another stinking great big pile of uh, law destructing poo in our in our driveways with wherever this is going, because he gave us one completely unnecessary origin of the Doctor less than eighteen months ago, and there are spoilers out there for the rest of the Flux story. I wouldn't i think yeah if you know where to look there are spoilers for this absolutely everywhere they all sound pretty feasible and it does seem to me that because it's all connected to the timeless child child overall storyline that we're about to effectively get a second origin oh, no. story that might really? possibly be Dan, Dan, even I worse than the first
3: Dan, you, oh, you can't sh- say that to me. I, I thought, you know, the, the I thought, you know, they, they couldn't get worse than that. I mean the horse has bolted, you know. That kind of thing. We've already seen. <laughs>
1: oh, oh but... Barnaby, Barnaby, there's more of the I racetrack have... yet. There's more of the I, racetrack. I don't,
3: I, I, where, seen...
0: where to li- I don't think he knows where to I don't think he knows <laughs> where to leave well enough alone. And... I, I haven't
3: seen these sorry, I haven't seen these these spoilers at all. So I, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Me like... neither,
0: Barnaby. This is all <laughs> news
2: new, new, totally new to me, totally news to me.
0: So I oh God, won't I won't go Simon, the, on do? the show but <laughs> yeah it's all and I think to be honest I mean what just watching this episode last Sunday before I'd seen various spoilers and information that came my way I'd had that sinking feeling there and the upshot of it is it's it's all just already just in what's been on screen so far just feels like more mumbo jumbo which I think is a great shame where what we could have had was a nice bit of vintage villainy and yet yeah, another end of the universe story maybe end of the universe stories are ten a penny in shows like doctor who but if you're doing if you're making the show correctly and if doctor who is functioning as it should be as this sort of oiled machine then every few years each end-of-the-universe storyline should be some generation of children's first end-of-the-universe storyline, and it will feel to them like the biggest story ever told and like nothing they've ever seen before. And that's why I think a lot of us have given other areas of the show kind of hall passes with the end of time and and the silence and all this kind of thing, because it's, in the, it's supposed to be in the moment, Doctor Who. I, yeah, I get this, I get the feeling he's... Yeah, in three weeks' time, we well, won't even be half smiling about all of this.
2: Well, I, I really hope you're wrong about that, simply because yeah. I agree with you, Dan. Uh, I, I can't actually believe I'm, I'm heaping as much praise on a Timel episode as I actually am. <laughs> but I do actually agree. The, 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 is it was it the traveller that's lurking there at the back? Was the, that the, the passenger? Yeah, the passenger, the passenger. Thank you, with Thank the you wish mark. mask. Yeah. Yeah, the wish. Yeah, exactly. In the in the seven ninety nine. Mask from, from yeah, yeah the internet. that's but that aside, social
0: media as well. Just, just in case people don't know what we're talking about, this character of the passenger, it was discovered within a day of him being yeah. on screen that the mask that he wears, it's not something that's been custom made. Considering this is quite a big presence in just six episodes they've made for this series, yeah. so you wouldn't have thought you would have thought there'd have been a few quid left in the old in the coffers. <laughs> but it's a it's a mask. It is a paintballing mask that this character wears <laughs> that has been bought directly off the what would you call it? Discount, discount very, very hardware discount. store. Wish. Yeah. an app that I'm sure that everybody's seen it in the app store for £7.99 and,
2: and it's a shame because I mean just looking uh, looking at the character the costume it isn't just the mask it's the whole costume absolutely yeah. looks as though they knocked it up they suddenly realised on the day before filming oh flipping it we, we forgot that we forgot the passenger's costume which is a shame because Azure uh, and, and Swarm look absolutely phenomenal. They look fantastic. Mm. They are a triumph of design. I'm, I'll happily admit that. Um, th- they are unusual. They're unique. They're, they're, they're a, they're a new take. They? They're a little bit of originality in there. Beautifully performed. I agree, as you, isn't quite hitting the mark for me through no particular fault or problem other than that she just... I don't know whether it's that she hasn't got as good much. material to work with. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's a it's a lesser character, but Swarm is an absolute stonking proper classic Doctor Who character. I still have a major major problem with how Swarm managed to escape from the. Impossible to escape from prison with no Incredible. explanation or
4: justification.
2: Whatsoever. <laughs> now I trust Chris Chibnall. I know he won't let me down because he's such a good writer. I know he will have a good reason further down the line in episode three or four as to how well, to escape from that. To Matt
0: introduce prison. the division as this nasty kind of kind of a black ops division of the Time Lords, that they're so difficult to get any sort of handle on, let alone your hands on, that the Doctor has been scaring the universe seemingly and the time streams trying to find out more about them and yet a situation like that they're pretty easily dismissed you know they talk they seem to talk absolute nonsense and and both division operatives were dead within within yeah. moments of them uh, being uh, on screen and,
2: and yet again it's just sloppy writing because there's just no need for that to take place. You either come up with a good reasons to have Swarm escaped, and I could give benefit of the doubt, I will wait for that to happen, or better still, you just don't need Swarm to have escaped from a prison in the first place. There's, there's just no need for that. It's just clumsy writing again. Swarm can just appear from nowhere. That's cool, I can deal with that. I can't deal with him escaping from an impossible to escape from prison without a justification, which is a shame, because so, the, uh, the character of Swarm in particular is great. Uh, as a kid, that would have absolutely had me utterly, utterly terrified. And again, it's just frustrating that these are the kind of monsters, villains that we wanted to see right back at the Big News Eleven. Instead of the the monster with with a blue face, with loads of teeth in its face, <laughs> that's what we didn't
0: want to see. You know. Uh, before we go for our break, I've just got two questions for you guys. Firstly, what would the Doctor do? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Chip, stop torturing us, please.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're supposed to find all that charming and touching and and, and to think of Yaz as being very vulnerable and we're supposed to be able to relate to her. (laughs) And secondly, where do you think that people can go to hear more great cult conversations? (laughs) Maybe it's the Fandom Podcast Network. Yeah, I think (laughs) it could well be. I'm talking, of course, about the Fandom Podcast Network. Now, Type 40 is just one of a dozen plus fantastic podcasts concerning all manner of your favorites in popular culture now here's our friend kevin with a few words about all of that and then you can meet barnaby charlotte simon and myself back here in a moment for more talk and the all-important scores for this episode of doctor who in a couple of minutes <laughs>
4: Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the Fandom Flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, and TV pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts what a piece of junk a star wars podcast with hosts scott derek and nathan making treks a star trek podcast a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts mark newbold and adam p o'brien and check out our newest shows the fandom show our monthly fandom podcast network live youtube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom and the fpn true believers mcu podcast discussing the marvel cinematic universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at fanpodnetwork. Network. Thank you for listening and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom.
0: yes we've uh, we've teased and we've tantalized you there and we can even clothe you too there's merch to match all of that including type 40 if you head over to tpublic.com go and search for the fandom podcast network storefront and you will find a whole galaxy full of merchandise featuring all the logos from all of those shows on t-shirts keyrings, mugs tapestries and a galaxy full of other items you can treat yourself treat your other selves and it all goes to help support the fandom podcast network into the bargain so everybody wins there we are we're back with uh, with barnaby with charlotte and i think simon too for more talk about war of the sontarans and our roundup what we thought of the whole thing can we possibly give it a score how can you, <laughs> how can we do that to chris Chibin after slating's episode for so long we're going to find out in a couple of minutes but yeah what I wanted to ask ask you guys was how close an eye do you keep on the ratings for Doctor Who on the is this something that you've always been interested in or that you're that you're aware of
3: just a passing glance really I mean it's only really recently that I that it's kind of like come up with um, other reviewers and other YouTubers I'm talking about it a lot more and it has been it from what I've seen it's been a downturn when other people tell me it hasn't but from what other reviews have said it has seemed to have been like a full-on like downturn in the um in the UK ratings anyway, and uh, I- I'm sorry to say it's not really that surprising. People are kind of like um just not really tuning in like they used to. I mean it, it, I think it was something that had started at the end of um Capaldi's era, and then there was a there was a spike with um the woman who fell to earth, and then just a gradual, down 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 um, slide really. I've heard.
0: Yeah, it's definitely the ratings of doctor who have certainly as long as i can remember been a obsession a low level obsession of a lot of the fan base and i think in all fairness it's simply because they were used as a stick to beat the fan base with by not just by the press by the mainstream press But a lot of the time, by the people in our lives, you know, people who are of a certain age, (laughs) will remember this. By the people in our lives, say if we were at school and the other kids at school thought you were a nerd for liking Doctor Who, when Return of the Jedi was much, much better, or The A-Team was much, much better. The fact that the ratings were often talked about in the newspapers, particularly after Michael Grade axed the show in 1985, and then it went into its sort of 18-month hiatus and, and reprieve, ratings the the whole ratings story narrative with doctor who has been talked about ever since that moment as if it was always only a couple of moments away a couple of points away from being at crisis a crisis point and i do think that over the decades perhaps that's amplified to ridiculous proportions in the minds of doctor who fans because when when you're around at the time this thing had gone from being the biggest kids' show on TV that everybody loved to, within three or four years, not so much being a joke, but being perceived as a failure because BBC One didn't want it anymore. And all that made, as I'm sure you've seen, it was headline news, and, yeah, it was used as a, as a stick to beat, to beat fans themselves with. So it's a case of... We have to i think we feel like we have to keep watching what's going on in the ratings to be prepared for anything that may come our way the slings and arrows that's a disclaimer as to why i (laughs) because people ask me every week when i report on the ratings not just on the podcast but over on the type 40 social medias on the facebook page or whatever we publish these stats who who cares? I've heard this week, who cares how many people are watching Doctor Who are not? Well the BBC care. They make the show. There's no I always say there's no more market for TV that people don't watch than there is for food that nobody eats. But generally, my point is that watching the ratings Doctor Who Wise isn't a new thing. And it's not something that we should feel guilty about. And it's certainly not it's certainly not something that means that we're traitors or that we want the show to fail but i believe that just as you know simon you've often spoken about how doctor who inspired you to work in television barnaby it's the same to you to some extent to choosing acting as your profession and it's the same for a great deal of other people and so when you're interested in the industry or in the craft from either side of the camera keeping one reasonable eye on how it's being received by the viewing public, because this is yeah. this is a product at the end of the day. It, it may well be an exercise in creativity, but it's creativity for a purpose, to inform and to entertain, to roundly entertain as many people as possible, and the more mainstream your show, on the more mainstream a channel, and BBC One is still the most mainstream channel in the UK, then it is all the more important that as many people as possible are watching your show, can relate to your show, look forward to your show, and are anticipate are anticipating and talking about either the episode that's just been on or the one that's coming next. This well, yeah, week, though.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. And it, it, it so frustrates me when, when people so frequently claimed that actually the bbc doesn't care about ratings it doesn't matter that's not there and and, and that, that just couldn't be further from the truth if that was the case the bbc simply wouldn't collect ratings they wouldn't bother um no as you say dan at the end of the day however much the bbc is a public broadcaster it is still a commercial organization uh and it has to justify its existence it has to justify the existence of certain shows on the channel Um, And so as a result of that, of course it cares what its ratings are doing, because otherwise if it it doesn't care what its ratings are doing, it means that ratings can just go down to absolutely nothing at all, and then the BBC loses its justification for existing in the first place. So of course ratings are important. But also, they're also important, not on a, not on a commercial level, but just purely on, on a basic level of look: are people actually enjoying this show? And if they're not enjoying it, what is the point of doing it? You've, you've got to have a certain number of people that enjoy doing it; otherwise, it's, it's just a very, it, it, it's a very minority uh, product that, that you wouldn't be pouring quite so much money into. So. Just on a on a pure basic level, you wanna know that your show is being enjoyed by people. Oh, and yeah,
0: not- I can't help but notice that sorry guys, I can't help but notice that people out there in the broad Doctor Who fandom we're talking about specifically now are more than happy to talk about the ratings when the show has done well. When it for example has come back with with a new doctrine done, done something quite bold and controversial and people flock to it just to see what may have happened whether it's a triumph or a car crash or not you know people want to hear about ratings then but when something happens such as what's happened in the last seven days then it's very much a case of open fire on the messenger every single time mm-hmm. the ratings are published for each episode of doctor who when it airs on a sunday evening as it does currently ratings usually appear around, around midday on the monday and doctor who fans being as they are they go straight to uh, to barb to the official source of these figures and they're on they're on twitter they're on facebook pages they're on websites official and unofficial this becomes part of the the story it becomes something that the public albeit only a proportion of the public become aware of now, the ratings for the first episode of doctor who i think were they were lower than i expected they weren't lower that charlotte was actually almost bang on with her prediction but they were by any by any stretch i think that chris chibnall would certainly have hoped that the halloween apocalypse would have got more people watching than it did that came in at 4.4 3 million viewers on those all-important overnight figures overwhelmingly the majority of doctor who v- doctor who viewers still come from the overnights this is another fact that people seem to not want to hear but it is nevertheless a fact for war of the Santarans, they lost nearly half a million viewers just 3.96 million viewers tuned in to see this oh last God. sunday on bbc one on the night. Half a million, that drop, just simply in a seven day period, that is a big drop, isn't it, Charlotte? It's not something that can be just brushed aside.
1: Yeah, and it is especially a big drop as some people who have not liked the last two series were actually quite positive about that episode. I know people who have had nothing but bad things to say and they were actually really enjoying that first episode. So if you can lose viewers off an episode that's perceived overall, and I'm saying very loosely here, perceived overall as a good mm. episode, then you're snookered. Because even when you're perceived as doing a good episode, there's 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 either enough, there's either bits of the episode which are enough to make people turn off. Um, but what I think that fifty thousand is, and why when. You were sort of saying on the live show a couple of weeks back, what do you think it's going to get? I think now we are seeing the impact of that season twelve finale, because obviously the specials are a bit of a maybe even the entirety
0: maybe even the entirety of series twelve when people loyal viewers turned up for that for potentially ten weeks. I mean, and that figure went down and down and down as we as we know. It's a it's a question of do I really want to get on board for for that again and all yeah. worse.
1: And and I think like I said, the for the special had Barrman on. It was a bit. It's always a bit of a bullet. The special anyway. It's like its own little entity. So that's not a good gauge. And I think this series is going to be where you you're going to see the damage. And like you said, even though we've had two episodes now, which are on the whole they've got good bits even bits we can all say we've enjoyed i think we've all said
0: that haven't we that this is generally speaking still an improvement Mm -hmm.
1: we've all got in the back of our heads what you're going to do with the timeless children what's going to be this end journey of this canon storyline you're doing and i think that's the problem now he's got too much doubt he's 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 made people second guess this he's got the fans going well even if i enjoy an episode. I know at a point you're going to have to either add on to this, this story arc or do or make it it's better. Just, and I it's don't distrust, think he's going to make it better. Yeah, I think it's distrust. And I think it's this, um, and we've sort of said it's the combination of having Whittaker as your doctor. I'm sorry people don't want to hear this, but she's a massive turn off. Yeah. If, if you've got a central... If your central I character is engaging... Charlotte, I
0: think that's what it is. I think that is the crux of this matter. I think they could tell potentially any story, be it, yes. be it on the night, or any arc story over five, six, a dozen episodes. It could be the best story in the world. People have bailed on her. The, this show, more than a great many dramas on TV, even those with that identifiable central... Character, this more than most, I believe, stands or falls on how people feel about the person at the centre of it. Because everything else going on around it is so furious, so uh, what's the what's the word? Unlikely,
1: far fetched. Well, so you it, have to be anchored
0: with that character.
1: It, it, it's secondary. Like I said, he can secondary, he can yeah. have all he can have all the distractions of a good villain. Of a companion like Dan, that's some like uh, that I quite like, but he's going to have to eventually go back to this Doctor. He's going to have to go back to Yaz, even by an extension of that, because she's she's the sort of long stay companion at this point. And I just think, yeah, it's uh, I think too much damage, and I think people didn't was uh, sorry. I think we didn't know how much damage until this series started airing, and now we're seeing it. So I think God help them when they get
0: to episode six. Barnaby, half a million is a, is a huge number for any show, isn't it? To lose in one in one week, it it shouldn't matter really at which point in a series you are. That sends a pretty loud message, doesn't it?
3: It's it's a huge number and not surprising at all because it has been previous some series have been genuinely hard to watch, it's been genuinely painful for me to watch some of them. So it's just kind of like, of course, if if you don't feel, as Charlotte said, connected to the main character, I I saw actually on I'm um, a big uh, on, my, on the PlayStation Store they've released the um, the VR game. Um, oh, I can't remember the, what it's called now, the uh, Edge of Time or something along those. No, is it,
1: I think it's Edge of Reality. I think that's what it is, Ed, the
3: new one. Edge of uh, Edge of Reality they've released on um, PlayStation, and I was I was thinking, oh, should I buy it? But then. Is Jody Whittaker as the doctor and I'm just kind of like, I don't really want to after all the awfulness we've been through in the last like two series, I just don't want to buy anything that's connected with the product because I'm I'm sorry, it would just be grating. And I just I just can't be be, it I, I can never I just think back to those who I'm just like terrible and it's like in the timeless child and I think it's just been ruined and the, the ratings have reflected that. And there's just something which people can't really sort of argue with, particularly, you know, losing half a million watchers.
0: It's, it's huge. The, there's also the figure as well, Barnaby, the, the Audience Appreciation Index. Hmm. This is uh, how they measure how much the audience who actually watched the show enjoyed the program. So they compile it uh, by consulting specially selected panels of around 5,000 people who go online to a secure website and, and rate and comment on the programs that they've been asked to watch. Uh, the figure for the Halloween apocalypse was 77. they usually scored out, out of 100 I think it is so uh, yeah the previous week was 70 no 76 there was the tiniest increase for war of the Santarans up to 77. Mm. but I think that roundly for a program to be considered successful it should be getting 80 and over I can't remember why 80 is the precise number why that's seen as the sort of watermark but it's still falling quite short of that bearing in mind that you know if you've got the television on and you want to watch a show you're, you're there then you are already partly invested you've invested potentially an hour of your time
3: yeah that, that's what I think as well because yeah the, the, the however they Gauge this this appreciation it has to be from people who are watching it who who like it as it is right now and some people do you know it'd be boring if we were all the same some people do enjoy it and that's great I can only talk from my own personal viewpoint so really I I would look a little bit more at the uh, at the ratings than I would at the um, appreciation personally but I'm yeah. not a I I don't work in that particular field so I am just a fan with a dream
0: Simon last time on series 12 you know you compiled and and gathered together all the ratings for those and we went through it all quite forensically you've always been very clear when we've spoken about ratings on this show about why they're important how seriously the tv industry takes them what their relevance is to a modern bbc in the face of streaming and things we're now in in 2021 this is 18 months on from the last series of doctor who there are people out there who are clutching onto this this belief that overnight figures don't matter anymore Mm. because there is eye player but that's not that's simply not true is it
2: no it isn't true and the thing is i think it's one of those things where um, with the greatest respect unless you have worked in the industry, you simply don't understand the significance of those those figures. You know, I have been in, I've worked at the BBC, I've worked for commercial television and I've worked for independence. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Across the board, you're just always waiting uh, for those figures to come in to validate what you're doing, to, it's it's exactly the same as a, as a as a salesperson waiting for their sales figures yeah. to come in, and if those sales figures are poor, they know that they're going to be in trouble. So, you, 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 as I say, for anybody that's worked in the industry, they they understand that literally you are you are almost on tenterhooks waiting for those figures to come in. That they, they, it's difficult to express how major those figures are and so that's why why don't, I
0: people, why don't people believe you when you say that or believe know, anybody people, when they say i that? don't
2: know dan but they don't want to and i've had so many arguments with so many people on on social media where they just completely undermine it and say viewing figures don't matter nobody pays attention to viewing figures anymore and that is to say it's just so so wrong and so patronizing unless you've worked in the industry and you know how they work in the same way that i haven't worked in sales and i can't understand the significance of sales figures but i can see why they are significant and so i respect a salesperson saying believe me those sales figures are all important and so i can assure you as somebody that's worked in the tv industry believe me those ratings are so so important i I, I can't anybody that works in tv Exactly the same thing, and so it's just frustrating when people just choose to ignore.
0: I understand why more. people may stand up, may defend an era of the show that they are particularly enjoying. You know, there are five or six people on Twitter who really love this <laughs> era, era of Doctor Who. God bless them. But, but that that aside, it is the the simple the simple fact is, in the days since that figure was released the level of hostility and intransigence that i've seen regarding these figures and anybody who talks about them in a less than positive way that's a tall order the series has just lost half a million viewers in 7 days you're supposed to be you're supposed to spin that however you can to make that not seem negative to to be credible or to be objective in case okay these Case people's of the cope, eyes so. just pure cope firstly no i'm not objective about doctor who. i'm subjective about doctor Who. this is doctor Who. i've been watching it all my life i know what i like and what i don't like and you know what at my age i also know why and i understand why you may feel differently and i can respect that so why doesn't that work both ways the ratings to doctor who are another question entirely they are completely and utterly objective That is the thing about cold hard facts that neither you nor i can argue with and that's a very hard lesson it seems for some on the other side of the aisle to take on board to just to to accept to process and that is one of the frustrations of living in 2021
1: (laughs) yeah but that that also adds to why the ratings are important in a sense because because they're the only objective the fact here. we've got,
0: Charlotte. They're the only well, look, objective
1: fact we've got. Yeah, but there's the elephant in the room. The, this era, we know there's a, there's a focus on pushing narrative, whether that's political points or it's, virtue signalling or whatever really. term you want to use. We know that's a factor in this era. We know and admitted that by reason the
0: BBC. And admitted by, by I, Chris Chibnall, for that matter. Yeah,
1: We know that Jodie's appointment wasn't completely like all the other doctor's appointments. We're not, You're not fooling anybody with that. And we've all, it's like this elephant in the room we can't talk about. So this era had to prove something. It had to prove that the female doctor works, that the female doctor was the right way to go, that the show needed to go this route because it was getting stale, it was getting old that's the sort of way some of these, some parts of the fandom almost talk about pre whitaker doctors. So the fact that she had to almost prove, and this, this is one of the, this is one of the reasons I do have sympathy with Jodie, because she, 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 how do I word, because I'm trying to think how to word this, she had to prove a lot more than her previous doctors purely because of being the first female doctor. So yeah. the ratings going down each series is proving a point that some people don't want to accept that this main character, you never should have changed the gender. And your, ra- and your failing view and rating every series is proving that even more so. So that's another reason why the BBC probably are very worried about these, these ratings, because it's, they, they, they had a different plan probably at the beginning of this run. That it was all gonna be rosy and we were gonna get David Tennant almost viewing figures again but we're getting the opposite Peter Capaldi it was okay to criticize his ratings it was okay to use that as an as a reason to basically say he needed to go but with Whitaker we can't talk about it
3: no no you, you go ahead Dan I think uh, uh, Charlotte's definitely um, summed up yeah pretty much what I was gonna yeah, say just I, there. Agree. Yeah. I
0: agree.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Looking back to War of the Santarans and our subjective reaction to it, I was wondering, how many whacks with the old wok out of five would you give this one, Barnaby?
3: Oh, God. A, a, a solid 2.5 wax. Two and just, two huge whacks and then a little tiny one, I'd say. A, t- a tickle? A tickle, <laughs>
0: yes. How about you, Simon? How many whacks with the wok do you give I... Chris Chibnall's latest effort, War of the Sontarans?
2: I'm going to concur with Barnaby, two and a half, because it's it's by no means good Doctor Who, but if I'm basing other Chimel episodes on sort of like zero, then this is this is a massive step in the right direction. So, yeah, two and a half, it sounds good to me.
0: And Charlotte, go on, get your, get your swing arm ready. Give, how many whacks with the wok do you give this
1: one? Well, I have to be fair. I gave the last episode 2.5, and I had a lot more issues with that one, and there were bits I was actually getting into this one. So I'll give it a three because slight slight increase, but like I said, that ending scene, I was just absolutely taken out of it. So that's what about not you, like a What are you? Off. It? Yeah,
0: I gave the last one two. Although I think this one was better in many respects, I still can't bring myself to give it more than a two. Fair I point. think that over the time in between, I was I found watching it diverting. Mm-hmm. almost entertaining in places and yet in the days since reflecting on it it seemed to fall apart and getting together and speaking with my friends yeah <laughs> I've actually thought a lot less of it I, I probably would have given it a two and a half yesterday but now I'm not going to score it lower than last week's because I think it was an improvement yeah it was but generally speaking I think it's still getting more wrong than it's getting right. It's, I know I may sound like a stock record and yeah I by my own admission I'm disenfranchised with with the show. can't wait to see what comes next but I'm still trying to be as generous as I can as if I was watching any show starring anybody and uh, this would be my reaction. I wouldn't I wouldn't feel compelled to watch. I think I'd probably watch the next episode because the cliffhanger was again quite strong I probably would watch the next episode but I wouldn't watch it on the night I'd, I'd catch it in the week on catch yeah. up that's where I am with it I, I I yes it's still sat at two for me must must try harder we'll see what the next episode brings we have episode names for the three episodes coming next chapter three is called Once Upon Time I know Chapter four is called Village of the Angels. And chapter five is called Survivors of the Flux. So whenever the Flux happens, we know it will have happened by week four At the latest, I don't think we're even going to see, you know, I think he's going to have the flux, whatever that is, happen in the gap in between week four and five, because (laughs) that's how you know you've been chibnalled. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who continues on BBC One in the UK and on BBC America over there for the next three, four weeks. We'll be here with further reviews, helping one another through this orchestra of average, courtesy of the world's worst showrunner, Chris Chibnall. (laughs) It's all going to be out. Look, if (laughs) it's all going to be out on DVD, Blu-ray, and there's a steelbook on the way. That's coming on the 22nd of January. That is the old girl calling time on this particular edition of Type 40, but I'll be back with another one fairly soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home feed for Type 40, type40.podbean.com. Or over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google Play, PodBay, all over the place. Or you can just pick us up on the Podbean app itself. We're also on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform, on the Spacebook's YouTube channel. Plus, we're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's own Master Feed, loaded with so many treats for your ears ears daily maybe you'd like to get in touch and have your say on this uh, yeah slating of the latest episode of doctor who get in touch with us through our social media instagram and twitter at type 40 doctor who or get in touch through email type 40 doctor who at gmail.com and if you're feeling really brave and fancy some real-time extra dimensional chit chat Head over to the Type 40 Facebook group. That's over on Facebook. Just enter Type 40 into the old search field there and we'll pop up. There's generations upon regenerations of Doctor Who fans from all over the world and a few other worlds. We've definitely got our suspicions about some of you out there. They're chatting, sharing, and yeah, now and again arguing about all things time and space. Where can people get in touch with you on social media, Simon? Oh, they can find me on Facebook and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go simple there's no fat on that and uh charlotte where can people find you on youtube
1: i'm part of type 40 lives so captures on thursdays also daniel Leach leech's channel because we've done a new line of duty with you so we've got that up
0: fantastic Ooh. yeah yeah so go and find the daniel Leach channel where they're talking about uh that line of duty and other tv favorites aren't you and barnaby you've got a youtube channel too and people can can find you on social media can't they over on twitter
3: yes i am on twitter i've bowed to uh you know peer pressure and i'm now on twitter at uh, barnaby and uh, <sighs> keep an eye out for me in the new uh there's something with me coming out soon in the new history bombs uh, video Ooh. Oh, what's
0: what's history bombs
3: oh it's, uh, it's a series uh youtube series we do uh Basically, all in one take, like a sort of a rap about uh, yeah. particular historical eras. I've been one about the about the Cold War and uh, Jane Austen. Yeah, it's a brilliant uh, YouTube series, it's a BAFTA award-winning win- uh, uh, series as well. And uh, yeah, and uh, if you watch the Cold War one, I uh, do a very good Kennedy impression. So
0: <laughs> I'm absolutely going to go and check that out. That is all we've got time for this time here on Type 40. We always have the time if you have the space. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.